episode three of the Spinoza Triad, in which Dan Rowlands, John Gibbs, and Richard Miller investigate, discuss, and think about contemporary issues, popular culture, and big philosophical ideas. This week, taking the film V for Vendetta as a starting point, we managed to consider the ethics of violence, Zizek's critique of the left, archetypes, narrative structures, the Frankfurt School, and I even managed to incorporate some repressive desublimation. We begin with considering V for Vendetta and its representation of archetype. It takes us a little bit back, you know, back to, to last week and conspiracy theories. The, the hero, V, is uncovering a dastardly plot. He's been experimented on in the past by a possibly well-meaning scientists allied to very unwell-meaning people who are trying to make biological weapons. And the biological weapon they produce is a virus that they also have the cure for. And so they come up with a plot to release the virus into the British population, kill a bunch of people, kills 100,000 people, but that's a plot in order that they can come along with the cure, and the cure is also an authoritarian regime. So this sort of fascist party takes control. The North Fire Party. The North Fire Party, and they, led by John Hurt, the Chancellor, Adam Suttler is the, is the sort of big brother character, but basically he's a big brother character, he takes over the country. So when you join the film, as it were, 14 years or so since the events of the virus, they are under the heel of an authoritarian regime, very big brother-esque, very proto-fascist, and somehow he's, he's one of the experimental victims of this original experiment, but it has given him remarkable powers. He's also, he also appears to have come through an episode of being burned alive. The burning has done something very symbolic to him, in a way, and, it, and so he's come out the other side with super quick reactions, martial arts skills you wouldn't believe, and a list of people he's going to kill. So he, he, he basically kills... <laughs> As vengeance on a number of people. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> and then, and then on November the 5th, he tells the country he's going to do this. He's going to blow up Parliament on November the 5th. He, he gets loads of masks to people. So the people wearing the very iconic, now very iconic, because since that film was made, it's had a life of its own in not only activism. internet yeah. activism, but also activism. So the masks, he distributes the masks and crowds turn up to Parliament and the film Listen, if you're listening to this, the spoiler's coming. <laughs> the film ends with uh, Parliament being exploded and uh, a revolution taking place. He, he dies, but presumably the, the, regi- the regime has been overcome as crowds and crowds of mask-wearing people surge into Parliament to, mm-hmm. to, to have, have the revolution. <laughs> Going to last week's discussion about archetypes, this film is full of them. Uh, not only is V himself an archetypal hero in the sense that he, he can, he can lead you to the promised land, but can never get there himself. He has to have yeah. suffered in order to see the truth. And he has to lead people into a kind of suffering to see the truth. All these are, all these are resonant of, of numerous other heroic figures. I was thinking of yeah. the gladiator. Gladiator yeah, yeah. has to die before you hand on. And because if V were to become the leader of the revolution, or if um, Maximus were to become the new emperor, they'd be even worse than the ones who've just gone. So that, that idea yeah. that, the, that in order for the hero to lead you to the revolution, they have to become tarnished by the very forces they're trying to overcome. In fact, they have to use the violence against the regime. And so they can't go through. You know, they, they have to, yeah. Like Moses, they can't enter the promised land. They have to die before you get there. So 
in order to lead you there, the use of violence excludes the hero from a from actually partaking of the paradise he's led 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 up to. At the end of the film, Shane, Shane, Shane the great 1950s western, Shane kills all the villains, but has to go off. They say, settle down with us and become a farmer. And Shane says, no, I, you know, I can't do that. I'm a gunman. That well, that means I can never settle, never be happy. Looking at that hero's journey as well, it's that book Joseph Campbell on a hero of a thousand faces, and and that's got the initiation, uh, the return, quite similar to to the V story here. I'm just thinking of the the character Evie. You know, he comes on. He's almost like a Yoda character, isn't he? In some respects, V try and get her to to reborn again. Yeah, he's also the wizard, isn't he? He's the, the wise guide. He know he knows the truth, yeah. has to reveal it to Evie. And and a bit where she's being interrogated and there's a bit like sort of Christ temptation or, or the Rocky training montage or you know, it's a bit where she she's corrected again, she dies to herself. So Zizek's book Fragile Absolute and that sort of period of his stuff where he's quite interested in ethics and the ethical act proper. He takes these Christian narratives and he has a like an atheist reading of Christianity. Uh, and one of his points mm. is about how it's it's against utilitarian and against Kantian to move beyond Kant that he tries to sort of formulate this idea of, of, of total death to yourself. If V was to uh, kill himself or, or die or sacrifice himself in order for something else, it would it would be what he calls a, a passing of the act, not an act proper. Um, if you are then to die to yourself with no guarantee, he calls this as a sort of an, an ethical act proper, and he takes Christ as a model of this. Evie has almost the same moment. You see V when he's burning and his hands are out, again, almost quite Christ-like again. And yeah. she does the same thing, doesn't she? And she's, she's born again as this character who doesn't really care now because she's died to herself. You know, I really like the idea, the, the theme through the film of rebirth, of the purifying fire, the awakening to the new world, and starting again. Very much a Christian idea. The recontracting between man and God, the new world that Christ offers, the restart, as it were, the hit the reset button Christianity offers in the New Testament. Problem for Christianity, it seems to me, the ethical act proper is uh, rather open-ended. It's more of a gateway, more of an invitation, more of a possibility than any kind of resolution. It's never dead clear whether the, the city of God lies now or in the future, is somehow to be to, to be brought about by man in some process after Christ. But Christ sacrifices with it with an apparently lot to do for mankind still, and the city of God again lies somewhere uncertain. Might be a good moment to deal with some of the slightly problematic elements in the film, and I think one of them is the re- is the persistent rescuing of Evie. I mean, she's res- yeah. she's rescued initially from representations of a very archetypal caricatures of the working class for reasons that don't entirely make sense and aren't explained. Evie is wandering the darkened streets after curfew when she encounters these figures, and these are the fingermen. And the fingermen, are <laughs> the fingermen must come from the old British idea of being fingered by the police. You know, being fingered by the fingers. Anyway, these guys are like, oh, yeah. right, come here, missy. You know, <laughs> you're certainly not going anywhere, you pretty young thing. <laughs> and you think, oh, yes, well, of course. And then when V shows up, he is debonair, he is suave, he talks in alliterative V, and he's amusing, and he's clever, and he's gentlemanly. So he's the gentleman saviour of the young lady. He saves her from that occasion. The, 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 the oiky working class blokes are chased off into the wilderness. Then he rescues her again. When, when he carries out a killing of another chap, he rescues her at the end. Actually, he's not been conscious, he's rescued. I thought, how many times is this young woman going to be rescued? It was her main purpose. And then, not only has he rescued her a couple of times, but then he has to lead her out of, of her sort of foolish, under, foolish misunderstanding. 
Doesn't she represents the the average citizen then being rescued? Could you argue this film's is is off the rights really currently because it's looking at an oppressive state putting liberalism at the heart of everything and the individual at the heart of everything and nothing should compromise what the individual wants and perhaps the EV being rescued is the stranglehold of the state. Oh yeah, I, I think hindsight. I think you can see this as a parable of leftist revolution and liberal revolution. There's a, there's a bit later in the film where uh, a lesbian couple are brutally dealt with. Evie discovers uh, a note in her cell, and she's able to, therefore, that gives the film the opportunity to uh, go into a flashback of a kind of bucolic, new age idyll where a lesbian couple live in a sort of sapphic paradise. Um, it's all very uh, ecologically friendly. They live in the countryside. It's delightful, very middle class very beautiful, and these are going to be roughly dealt with. And so you, so clearly right. you, you realise you're on the side of the ethics of liberalism, but equally in the, in the film as a whole, the, the sort of violence that's used, the conspiracy theory that's suggested, could equally appeal to the people charging up the steps of Congress you know, a couple of months ago. They, 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 the right, yeah. they believe themselves to be liberated. They believe they're standing up against the big state. So it, it's a film against the big state, fascistic in nature. Talk show host of the American called Barack Obama a fascist. I was just going to say about the easy character. She, she does, I think, unfortunately, rather problematically become a male fantasy of rescue. Because, as you say, uh, symbolically, there's a there's a, a pain that has to be put through. You have to put her through the agonies. Couldn't you have just yeah. sat her down and had a bit of a talk about the, the true nature of the regime? But no, the ethical move, though, is that you have to go through some form of suffering. That's Again, that's that, the archetypes we spoke about last week, isn't it? That, that you have to go through something in order to be reborn, and it has to be painful. You know, it has to be, you have to go through yeah. some kind of hard work. And, and I find that idea unappealing. The kind of idea, yeah, yeah. Of the purifying nature of pain, you know. Yeah, that, and, and I feel it does appeal to a certain fascistic right-wing element. All the way through the film, you see people staring at the news, and they know very well that it's that it's not true, but but we'll watch it anyway. And it's it's, it's that kind of critique of mass culture that it's yeah, you are passive, you absorb, and you, you're controlled as, but they they know that they are as well. And V offers a, a rupture, a break from that through sort of high culture. So V is surrounded by opera and theatre and books and literature, this kind of thing. And you can have freedom through these high cultural products as opposed to if you were a, a dummy of the masses that just yeah. watches TV. I thought that was very prescient, the sort of fake news. So the, regi- the regime, every time he bombed something, they say it was an accident or they he bombed something, it was evil terrorists. So the regime manipulates the media and fake news. However, the, you're absolutely right, Richard. The populace in the film, as they're represented, and they seem to be they seem to be mainly middle class English people sitting on rather well upholstered sofas. You know, yeah. apart, apart from the leering finger men and some some yeah. odd, odd guys in a bar, mostly the, it's sort of middle class people sitting in sort of nicely middle class English living rooms who look at the television and say things like, "Well, that's a load of rubbish." Then, so so while there's lots of fake news going out there. Proletariat, yeah. well, the middle class proletariat, you appear to be able to see through it very, very easily. 
The other thing that struck me, Richard, what you're saying there is about, I thought I was thinking of the sort of Frankfurt School ideas. Yeah, yeah. It sets almost like a checklist of the sort of Frankfurt School arguments. You've got that it's society's repressive and that mass culture works to repress people, that high culture will offer you a way out through not critically engaging with the sort of social world around you. I was trying to find if I could fit repressive desublimation in there, John. But <laughs> no, but I couldn't. The only thing I got of the repressive desublimation was the was you see a brief bit where she she goes into one of the buildings and the security man is watching some thing called Laser Girl. And right. when the when the satirist played by Stephen Fry does a satirical show, it has a lot of girls in swimming costumes dancing around at one point. And there's a bit of Benny Hill music being played. It is, as the, as, and I thought, well, if, so that's the only hint to suggestion of the using sexual kind of imagery in order to desublimate, to repress. I mean, I thought that, 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 there wasn't a lot of that. But I didn't think it was other than that very, very Frankfurt school. about the threat of violence and the use of violence because uh, V is coming up with these wonderful ideas about you know the individual and liberalism and you know is willing to use acts of terrorism which sits totally against when was it written when was it produced 2005 so it's almost at the height of the war on terrorism that idea of the repressive nature of popular culture is better dealt with in films like Network. What's, what's the guy is that network? where the guy's shouting outside, out of the window, saying switch it off or something? Yeah, I'm as mad as hell and I can't take this anymore. <laughs> switch off your television. Switch off your television. <laughs> yeah, that one. What this film I thought was very strong, as, as is Watchmen. You have, you've seen Watchmen. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Watchmen is presenting a moral, a moral question. I think, Dan, you have the heart of this film. Really. The moral question is, when is it right to use violence? Mm. Can, can, can a repressive regime justify violent reaction or the possibility or the expectation of collateral damage and and how uh, how a film mm. ideologically frames those questions doesn't it as well because it seems okay for me to go around you know hack a bit of the desk with swords or knives and then blowing up the government exactly yeah and it, it's not exactly the democratic process was it but it acts of terrorism against ss officers or you know bonhoeffer you know what's our moral take on that well that is yeah, that i think that is That's the big the question, question isn't it it is the question of the film is if you could blow up the train and kill the orphans, the train load of orphans, you're going to blow up the train load of orphans because Adolf Hitler's on board and it'll prevent right. the, the, yeah. for the greater good, for the greatest number. And it, uh, it's, it's posing that, it's, that, that, whole, that dilemma. It's quite a simple moral, moral response to a complex idea, isn't it? Just utilitarianism. The film is slightly problematic in its presentation of violence. Not only is the violence slightly voyeuristic, you know, there's lots, there's lots of slow motion blood spurting and yeah. uh, very swift knife use. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, get him. <laughs> the knives, the knives yeah, yeah. sort of move almost lasciviously through the air <laughs> and then, then embed themselves in the middle of someone's forehead. You know, there's something right. they enjoy the violence. <laughs> you know, the violence is also sanitized. Although he kills people with spurting blood and gushing, they are the bad people he kills. When he blows up, yeah. uh, first of all, he blows up the old Bailey. And then later on, he blows up Parliament. You presume, or do you, that there are no innocent people who happen to have been around that area? When you blow up Parliament, was there, was there a, like a caretaker? Had they, had they thought? And all the policemen that get killed or blown up or killed, 
you know, they're all, are they just are they just not victims of the system as well? You know, <laughs> so, yeah. you, have, you have to have a very clear. They're idea. running around fingering people, John. <laughs> <laughs> the finger men are yeah. Yeah. They're morally depraved. Yeah. I thought the most ludicrous figure was the paedophile bishop. Yeah, yeah. 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 Let, let us conjure someone we'll quite enjoy seeing killed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about the mask? Uh, and and uh, I, I didn't know if there was any mileage at all with the because he has an idea, doesn't he? He says throughout the film, it's uh, you, you, you can't beat an idea, and it's he's obviously the representation of that that idea. You know that sort of Lacanian idea that fantasy keeps at a distance from the thing itself that you can never know. He alludes to that idea, doesn't he? But he doesn't sort of map out his manifesto as such, does he? He's just an no. idea. And you're left thinking, what is the main idea of the film? What is it really about, except the classic fighting against a totalitarian state? This is where Slavoj Zizek says that he would sell his own mother to see the part two of this film. Because he says that the point is that we don't know what the people do with the freedom they've achieved and what kind of new society do they form. I mean, I can remember this when I was a student and I used to go along to, I went along to Workers' Revolutionary Party meetings. Right. <laughs> you know, what's that, what's those cartoons where someone says some dreadful faux pas and it's like, the man who, the man who said, can I have a second helping of shrimp or something? And the whole restaurant is all falling apart, fainting. They used to appear in the Daily Mail. Anyway, it was like that. If you, if you were a leftist meeting and you said something like, well, what's our program for government? <laughs> you must never say. What yeah. was after the revolution? What does a socialist society look like? How is equality achieved? What do we mean by equality? None of those questions. It had to always be about the nature of the revolution and the failures of capitalism itself. But it's a bit like that with, with, with Zizek anyway, isn't it? Because I, I don't know. It's got that ethical model he, he talks about, this idea of a death yourself that cannot have any guarantee. So almost like a, a sort of radical responsibility to die to yourself, to be born again. But I'm not aware of anywhere where Zizek actually says, I mean, that very critique that he has of the left should be launched at him as well. He doesn't, he never says in any view, does he, of, of how, how he would map yeah. out a socialist, uh, you know, or a collective or a bit like V, really. Perhaps Zizek is V. <laughs> well, <laughs> it could be. <laughs> the only, yeah, it's very, very rhetoric. He d- he doesn't say and so on and so on enough though, does so he? So on, so on, no, yeah. He doesn't do this with his nose either. <laughs> Can I reach it? Because his mask's on. Actually, <laughs> maybe that's the mask. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's how I feel with this film. There's a lack of of a centre to it. Too many themes and not enough central... Oh, completely. It's, it's a, it's a um, parable of a very limited kind. But it does... I say, I think the big question it asks about violence, we'll come back to that in a minute, but I think... But if you said, well, what kind of world would V want? Well, it's clearly got a lot of art in it. His underground lair is full of art. And these are all... He says, well, these have been stolen from the banned art. So like the Nazis had undesirable art. But if you look at V's lair, it's, it's kind of Renaissance art and it's every kind of art you can imagine. So clearly, clearly the fascists that John Hurt's in charge of really just don't like art. They're really yeah. against all forms of art. Yeah, so, so the essence of art, really good art, is trying to capture something which is beyond reach. Well, yes, well, yeah, twice, yeah. Uh, twice in the film a character says, art lies to you in order to tell you the truth. Power of art is in its illusory capacity to take you 
to places you didn't think you were going to go. I mean, it's what the Frankfurt School, I think, used to call the antagonistic, disruptive power of art. So that great art is more revealing to you and reveals the truth of things. Very again, a very romantic idea yeah. in a way that in a way that popular culture doesn't. That simply distracts you. That simply bread and circus. That's a great point. But it's the assumption, though, that there can't be art within popular culture. I mean, that's the problem. The problem, isn't it, with, with both this film and the Frankfurt School in general, I think. He's very, very, he is very highbrow. Yeah, yeah, he is, isn't he? Yeah. In that, in that way that the old Soviet Union used to be obsessively highbrow. And he would insist that the proletariat, the working classes of the new Soviet Union, back in the 1950s and 60s, propaganda would always have it. The working classes of the Soviet Union enjoyed ballet and poetry and opera. Unlike the decadent West with its, with its Western music, rock and roll and jazz sort of romantic and then, and then, and what they were and then you then you kind of understand the higher purpose of life because you've indulged in these high arts and you have no problem with sacrifice because you know you understand the meaning of it i mean when you when you think about various narratives around at the moment and what would you think through and then look at that film it's the central sort of story of it in terms of governments and virus and control control of the media and the way we engage with the media, right. Dan, I agree with you though. It doesn't, it, it flirts with a lot of ideas, but it doesn't go into a massive amount of depth uh, with, with any, any single one. V is a revolutionary and he says governments should be afraid of their people. Violence is sometimes necessary. Yeah. Effectively what he's arguing, saying for is the good terrorist is okay. Because as you, as anyone knows, the problem with terrorism is it's telling them apart from the, the you know, who is the terrorist, who is the freedom fighter. this week about the, the trial in the United States of Derek Chauvin. One of the things the trial had to do, in a way, was insist, and it's probably very good tactics for the prosecution of Derek Chauvin, was insist that Derek Chauvin was a, just an evil, bad policeman. You know, we had test, the testimony that worked most effectively was other policemen saying that he, he behaved beyond pale here. This was, this, was, this was not what he was trained to do. This was grotesque. It was awful. It was terrible. And in a sense, America was re- sort of reassuring itself. Because I listened to a lot of people saying America's regained some self-respect. I feel more proud of America. And it was indeed a, you know, an unusual moment because here's a trial of a man when normally policemen in situations like this get off. But in order to convict him, yeah. had, the police themselves weren't the problem. You had to be separate from the institution. And separate them from the institution. Who's just the bad egg. Who's the bad egg. And indeed, Derek Chauvin himself doesn't, his defense don't decide to argue. I'm as much a victim of this as anyone. I mean, that's, that, that would be a tough one to, to follow. But he could argue he's up for his own victimhood in the sense that how many necks has he lent on? Loads. And they didn't die. And he's got away with it. And how many necks are being lent on across America and people don't die or being shot and without cameras? He could say, not only am I, am I perpetrating the violence that's inherent in the system, and, the, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a product of the racism of the system, I'm also very unlucky to have been caught. And all those things are true. Which shows the power of the way in which conversation goes and what can be said and what can't be said. And what can't be said 
uh, most obviously, is the thing which is most obvious, is that violence is more characterized by its systemic nature than its uh, individualized nature. It is a part of society. It is all around us. It is incorporated into our culture. And one of the functions, in a sense, of, of fiction, of representations such as the film V, is to make a hero who individualizes violence. It's what Zizek makes the distinction between subjective and objective violence. And our society resists the idea of objectification of violence, that it is a thing, that violence is incorporated culturally, historically, sociologically around us, and instead is is in the hands of the individual. It's the person who presses the trigger. It's the one who wields the knife, the person kneeling on the neck. They draw away all the horror or possibility that violence is something that we are a part of. I mean, Zizek tells this joke. It's a, well, no, it's a pretty funny joke. But I came across a Zizek joke. Apparently, Zizek likes this joke. There are two men watching a play in a theatre, and uh, one has to go to the loo. So he excuses himself. He works his way out through the audience. And his friend, before he goes, the man next to him says, oh, the loo is just down the corridor. He heads down the corridor through the dark theatre, can't find it, can't find it, can't find it, keeps looking for the he's getting lost. He finds a door, goes through it, nothing in the room, but there's a potted plant. So he, desperate to go to the loo now, urinates copiously into the potted plant, goes back, finds his way back up the corridor, back to his seat, sneaks along back to his seat, sits down, his friend whispers to him, Ah, oh, it's a pity, you missed the best bit of the play. Some guy just came on stage and urinated in a potted plant. And the idea of that joke is that we resist the idea that we are part of the performance. The fiction is distant, is not part of us. The violence we see on the news is fictionalized. We are not part of it. And this is very different. This post-enlightenment sanitizing of violence, the individuation of violence, is part of our culture. I don't think it was such a true classical culture. I mean, the, the classic cultures uh, in, in Greece, or, or in, well, certainly in Greece, or indeed uh, in, um, in Scandinavian culture, they knew about blood feuds. They knew about gr grudges passing on down generations. They knew about the crime that led to the crime that led to the in inevitable destruction. They knew that violence was organic and not subjective. And that's what this film most urgently does. There is really no justification. All, all freedom fighting, all attempts to to put right social justice can never be fully justified by any kind of violence. That can never justify any kind of absolutely any kind of violence. Because violence, even if it's killing one person, is a, is a an absolute, a complete moral absolute. So you could see, say that's categorical imperative. Simply shouldn't do that. And then I imagine a sort of thought experiment where you said to the Sinn Fein people or the IRA, you the IRA. If you've got the IRA leadership mid 1970s, and said, what I'd like you to do is write on a piece of paper your wish list. Everything you'd want, most want. You can have you can have a United Ireland, you can have Sinn Féin in charge of the government, you can have Mrs. Thatcher and all the Tory leaders and an establishment in Britain led through Dublin starkers, have people shouting shame at them. You can have what you like, your wish list. You have everything the IRA are currently fighting for and believe is most unjust. You have Protestants removed from Northern Ireland, have what you like. Write it down here, your complete victory of your cause. But in return, what you must do, then you bring in a small child. Bring in the child. Little girl, say. You sit her down on a chair and you, fly, you fire up a, uh, a blow lamp. And <laughs> what you've got to do is you've got to kill that child with this blow lamp. 
It's going to be agony. It's going to be burning. It's going to be John. Eyeballs bubbling. It's going to be an awful uh, some cool experiment, John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you have the courage to do that, I'll give you your victory. Because after all, your bombs, they presumably do that. It's just you're not there to see it. Yeah. Good point. Oh, yeah. Block a bomb over Berlin in the Second World War. When you block a bomb over Hanoi, you presumably have to accept the possibility. Although you know, you say, well, that that might be that might be the defence. Well, that I'm not killing that child because that's a certain death. Whereas non-intentional. But it's unintentional. Well, wait, well okay, yeah. then I'll, I'll alter my full experiment. In this case, I'll flip a coin. Collateral damage. And if you get a heads, the, the child dies a horrible, agonizing, burn to death death, and tails, she survives. Are you willing well, to. Well, that makes it even worse. Yeah, yeah or, or is that even worse? Because that's absolving you to some extent. No, that makes this. That, that is a much more accurate thought experiment for state policy, isn't it? Because when yeah. they say collateral damage, it's just part of war. The, the, the cause is good, but we, mm-hmm. we will have. Collateral damage using that. Collateral, of... collateral damage, yeah. yeah. Or, 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 if, or if the person dropping, pressing the bo- button, dropping the bomb over Berlin in World War Two or over Hanoi, or firing a missile mm-hmm. into Israel, or firing a firing a rocket back into the Gaza Strip, that person says, "Well, there's a, there's a chance. It, you know, I can I can pretend that it doesn't kill a child, and if it did, that wasn't my intention. That's almost worse." Would an act of violence be acceptable then? I say so. Apply that actor. So an act of violence towards an SS officer, like you know the Christian Bonhoeffer, worked out that he could be a successful terrorist against the Nazis. Is that subject to moral blame? I suppose that's a question. Well, well, according to Kant, it would. Yeah, that thought experiment, Kant's famous thought experiment. If the axe man yeah. turns up at your front door wanting to kill the man who's sitting in the living room. You must tell him where he you is. You must tell him that he's sitting in the living room because you can't know that he might until he actually has killed him. You don't know he will. If you if your friend runs out the back door and he kills him there, well, you, that, that happened anyway. But it wasn't you that was involved in a lie. And if if by saying the lie the axe man goes away and kills his auntie Flo and his two ch- and his two children, you've actually the consequence. All the only thing you can know is that lying was the thing you were in control of. Killing the dictator. <laughs> Shoot Hitler, but you have to know the future, you know, which we can never know. You have to know, in order to kill Hitler on that train, you have to have known the future. Isn't the message of, of this film, though, with V, it's more about violence to, to yourself, isn't it? It's about self sacrifice. You know, the absolute, if you like, is about. He dies for the greater good. Having taken quite a few down with him as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's Fingerman. It's <laughs> uh, a book of Eli. Have you seen that? Denzel oh, the, uh, the guy's trying to facilitate the Bible back together again. Yeah, yeah, and, he, and he's memorised. No, there's some proper violence in that. Something, yeah. He kills loads of people with, with, with a knife as well, with a, a bit like Vigna. Yeah, nasty, in a nasty way, yeah. Big knife, yeah, and he, and he, and he kills all these people and... You find out at the end it's because he he's the only person that's memorised the New Testament. But I, I thought that was quite interesting. Again, it's how it's it's ideologically framed, and well, you don't question like, that at all, isn't well, it? You just think, oh, it's good old Eli knows well, the Bible. So you quite enjoy yeah. the sort of vicarious idea of the the killing, the cat killing of these bad guys, the bad guys. So you enjoy the killing, but you have to say, well, what V doesn't like about the regime is their brutal killing. He says, you know, I can't be, I can't die because my idea won't die. Yeah. Know, the idea is the mask. They all put the mask on. So V lives on in his idea. Well, 
If that's true, then that leads you back to a again problem of the left. If it's the idea that's going to beat the regime, it maybe need all, the, all that killing. Or, or what is the killing? Is the killing in order to reveal to people the idea, or the idea of emerged anyway? In which case, say, don't kill people, just let the idea emerge. And it's that old Menshevik-Bolshevik argument: Will revolution take place organically? People will eventually. The, the regime, presumably, is so appalling and so awful. It already appears that the people are pretty self-aware. They already appear to achieve a level of consciousness. Every time the regime shows propaganda, people are going, oh, that's a load of rubbish, or I don't believe that. Well, really, V, you could just leave them alone. They're, they're, they're seeing their way through this fairly adequately. No, you, you can argue, again, is that, that is they got used to a sense of comfort and a sense of enjoyment. So, yes, lies were being told, but their pursuit of enjoyment was a lie in itself, and they were quite content, as we are today, to keep pursuing enjoyment. We don't have any causes anymore. Politically, we don't talk about causes. We just talk about individual comfort, individual rights. Political action has rescinded since the 1960s. You know, we don't, we don't, you know, students don't get out and protest about the Vietnam War. protesting about the Vietnam War and all sorts of things, civil rights. So there's a, there's a lack of big causes anymore. And so that might explain why all the middle class people are sitting at home listening to the lies from the government, but accepting them through just complaining privately. Lacanian enjoyment, you know, there's, there's that level of it, it's that pleasure and pain, isn't it? The enjoyment of, of the rules. I, I remember one of the Zizek books where he critiques the, the argument about the banality of evil with the Nazis, and he yeah. says, in actual fact, there wasn't a banality of evil, there was a, an obsession with order and paperwork and, and uniforms. That's at the level of enjoyment. It was, it was in that. So yeah, it, it, enjoyment's working at diff- on on sort of different levels with, within that process. Psychoanalytic enjoyment yeah. in that, isn't there? Could you so. argue that that we've lost the mask, and it was the mask that allowed society to operate? Nobody needs to wear a mask anymore because they're only concerned about themselves and their own thoughts and feelings, especially with the internet. And so V here is saying, put the mask back on and reject this society of enjoyment a responsibility you have towards other people rather than just yourself. Yeah, I think, Dan, that's very interesting you could say that because I think, again, we were saying earlier, if V has an ideology, it appears to be the ideology of culture. It's about an ideology of high culture. And so, yeah, Yeah. in in the V-constructed world, whatever that might be, there's almost no idea what that would be. Mm. But what the V-constructed world might be would certainly be a world of, as you say, order and politeness and uh, tradition and concepts of that time. Because the, but the regime he's currently in, presumably, you know, the, the regime yeah. led by John Hurt, the, the great dictator, the dictator is trying to impose order in, this, in a similar sort of way. The, the, the odd paradox of the old Soviet Union was they believed in high culture for the workers, but they were themselves quite brutal and grotesque and wasteful. A, a society of order and civility. <laughs> the, 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 world of, the world of civility and politeness ends up, ends up brutally punishing people because of their lack of civility. Do people want to be liberated in our society from society of consumerism? It's like that the left's problem with trying to find the authentically alienated working class. The authentically alienated yeah. working class don't appear to be in Britain. Most people have never lived lives of such wealth. If you, if you go onto the streets and say, you know, I, I'll save you, comrade, from this oppression, you say, well, actually, I'm... Yeah. What's he talking better, about? I've got a much better life than my parents. And their parents have a much better life than them. Capitalism keeps on delivering. Yeah, and it won't, and it won't happen because the terrorists, if a terrorist blows no. up a bomb in London, or as a parliament for that matter, all sorts of people over the country are going to say, well, goodness me, we've, we've been leading lives of vacuous consumerism. 
What were we thinking? Yeah. What were we thinking of? <laughs> that way. Stupid. You have been listening to the unscripted discussions of the Spinoza Triad. Dan Rowland, John Gibbs, and Richard Miller. I hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we shall be attempting to look at modern-day consumerism, but not through the eyes of postmodernism, Marxism, the Frankfurt School, but instead through Hellenistic philosophy, Stoicism, Cynicism, and Epicureanism. Follow the link to my website, The Politics Shed, to leave comments, suggestions for future podcasts. Thank you. Bye.